Welcome to the Eastman Dental Podcast, where we hope to inspire, motivate, and provide education from our guests' experience. This week, we're joined by Serena Dodia and James Coughlin, who are both uh, dental foundation trainees in London, or actually academic dental foundation trainees, but I'm sure we'll get onto that. It's really nice. You know, I had a, a patient the other day and we had a, a real bonding moment over our, our shared IPL cricket team um, <laughs> that we support. So it's kind of that side of it. I love, you know, getting to meet different people, really interesting people. No day is the same. So every day I turn up to work, it's always different. There's different patients, different treatment plans. Um, no situation really goes 100% as planned but I actually quite like that sort of the adrenaline when you're working is something that I actually love having every day. With your host Josh Hudson. Um, When we were putting together the programme for this series we actually questioned uh, whether we should get DFTs as the um, kind of more junior uh, members of the team but I think it's really important that we hear from these guys and hear from their experiences uh, transitioning from dental school to foundation training and I'm sure they'll have a lot of interesting things to share with us. Um, So to start off with um, Serena just tell us briefly a bit about yourself. So hi I graduated from Bristol Mm -hmm. um, in July this year and I spent six years there where I also integrated in genomic medicine in my third year. So I've recently moved back home to London Um, Now I'm an academic foundation trainee on the Central London Scheme with James and I spend um, my time in practice in Wembley in North West London. Perfect. And James, what's your story? Um, So I went to uh, Barton, the London. Um, So, well, originally I was from Essex, so I made the the long trip to East London (laughs) from Essex and then um, did four years there. And then I intercalated as well, uh, just around the corner at um, London School of Hygiene Tropical Medicine. so I kind of went to central London and, and finished last finished my dental degree last year. Um, and then obviously doing the academic foundation year this year um, in North Wembley. So I've sort of made the slow progress across London. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> not, not keen to leave then. Mm, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you've both, both integrated interestingly. So you spent quite a lot of time at, at university. How have you found that transition from... Um, studying, which obviously you both enjoy doing as you extended your training um, into working life and into practice. How have you found that transition? Yeah, so, I mean, I've really enjoyed it. I loved studying and I kind of didn't want to leave. Um, I would love to yeah. have, have sort of stayed on, but it, I think it's really good. Um, it's quite a big jump going from having random mornings off, random, random afternoons off and going sort of straight into like a nine to five, nine to five thirty you know, nine to six sort of busy days because I think you just get tired and I think you don't realize how tired you're going to be kind of just going straight into it. But for me, I think it's been quite a good transition. We did a lot of stuff towards the back end of dental school, obviously because of COVID. Um, and so coming coming into practice, I think was quite good because it was a little bit of a continuation and I've been really lucky. Uh, everyone in my practice, my ESs have been super supportive and that's I think kind of made it a lot easier yeah. otherwise it would have just you know been sort of thrown in at the deep end a little bit um but yeah they sort of I've been lucky in that sense because they've really helped to kind of cushion the so it's more the of a transition. smooth transition than a 
here's 20 patients, off you go. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I've sort of been working up to it. Not quite at the 20 patients a day <laughs> yet, but you know. And Serena, how do you find the transition? Yeah, I've got to agree with you, James. I've really enjoyed my um, my transition into practice. My educational supervisors have been extremely supportive. Mm-hmm. And the first sort of month of the foundation training was an induction period. Mm-hmm. So they sort of slowly eased, eased us into the experience shadowing the ESs. We had lots of study days with our scheme, which were really lucky to meet our our fellow trainees together and have sort of clinical skills introductions to sort of refresh us after the long summer that we had off. The last summer. Yes, the last <laughs> summer. <laughs> um, and so we, I slowly started seeing patients um, and our, my educational supervisors have sort of an open door policy, which I'm really appreciative for mm-hmm. when I find myself in times of difficulty or not sure what to do, stressful situations, I can always go to them. And this has sort of been really valuable and made the period of transition a lot easier for me, I think. That's great. I think you mentioned it there and it's probably the elephant in the room, so you probably should address it. COVID, you're obviously the, uh, maybe not the generation, but the cohort where COVID's probably had quite a big impact on on your training with it being your, you know, last you know, your final years where, where that, that happened, how, how did it Im- impact your training? How did you feel that that lack of activity for so long I- impacted your development? I mean, for me, it was a bit different because I intercalated when COVID first hit. Um, and so I kind of missed that initial chaos. When, so you got lucky. No, yeah, I got really <laughs> lucky um, because I think a lot of people in, in that year sort of, they were, you know, trying to figure out what to do day by day. And um, I was doing public health at the time, so I was just sat doing stats on my computer. Um, but then when I when I came back in, obviously, because I'd had the year out, um, they were trying to catch everyone up. And so I sort of came straight into that. And so from that sense, I was lucky. And I mean, the university that I was at, the dental hospital became a um, 111 sort of urgent care hub. Mm-hmm. And so we were seeing a lot of patients, especially sort of post-January, I think, when... Um, everyone had got the sort of protocols in place and it was a bit easier to see patients and so because that we we were sort of seeing those um, emergency patients i think in a way it was almost more helpful than a, a sort of general final year because we were getting used to seeing patients more quickly yeah. kind of rapid fire diagnosis like you know jump straight into treatment mm-hmm. um and so for me i think that that helped a lot i mean there were some obviously some bits that were difficult and you know things that you probably would have done a bit more, maybe like RCTs, crowns and things yeah. in, in in normal times. But I think for me, it it was quite quite useful. And especially seeing as we're seeing more emergency patients now, I think that bit of it was, was really useful. It's helpful. That's great. What about you, Serene? So I had a slightly different experience to James because I, I was at uni in fourth year when the pandemic hit. So sort of just going home, not seeing your friends, not going into uni for a whole term, especially the last term of fourth year, this is where we were meant to do sort of the most clinical activity. So that was quite stressful and worrying for us, Um, especially um, the pandemic, it was so new for everyone. No one knew what was happening. Um, We were lucky to sort of go back to uni in fifth year, um, but everything was different. So the universities, obviously the hospitals aren't laid out to sort of deal with AGPs, which was a whole new scenario for everyone Mm -hmm. and all the PPE, um, social distancing as well. So we were in the hospital a lot less than we were used to and what we expected to be, especially being in fifth year. 
Um, so I was left with more free time, um, less clinical activity, but this sort of increased as the year went on, as the university sort of um, put protocols into place. Obviously it was worrying not having the same sort of clinical experience as previous years, but by the end, as, as we passed finals, um, I felt a bit more confident going into the foundation training process. Um, and we're sort of all still learning now with the PPE, wearing the mask for yeah. long hours every day. <laughs> it is tough, but you know, everyone's in the same boat, so. I think the thing with the final year as well is that obviously it's a stressful time anyway. And then like people are doing exams, people are worried about sort of, you know, passing exams, meeting requirements and things and kind of adding on the stress of people being away from their families for a long time, kind of not really knowing what's going to go on. I think that took quite a toll on people, yeah, yeah. Um, which then made obviously everything else a bit more difficult. And so if something did go wrong, I think if you're already stressed, it's a bit more difficult to kind of deal with that. Yeah, it's another thing added on top of everything else. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think the sort of universities got there in the end. And I think when we speak to people that are in the year below us, it's much sort of smoother now, but I think, mm. yeah, at the time it was it was quite stressful kind of getting through it. Yeah, and I suppose either way, how you look at it, you still missed out on that, that clinical element. But out of interest, how did the AGP situation work in terms of supervision? Because obviously, I guess once you're doing an AGP, you don't want people coming in and out all the time. How did, how was the structure of that? How did that actually work? So in, um, Brist in Bristol, we started the AGPs um, for our students. It was the final years in January time. So the whole first term we were doing non-AGP appointments. Mm -hmm. This was difficult for the patients who we had treatment planned who needed AGPs. Um, if it was an emergency, a room was allocated. But once we started the AGPs, they were sort of one-on-one -on -one, um, supervision AGPs. So we had our supervisor as our assistant during the AGP. Mm -hmm. And this actually was um, extremely valuable because instead of having to wait normally in the past for supervisors to come and see you, they yeah. were just right there. They could give you advice. We remember that queuing for supervisors. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't miss that now. Um, so the supervisor was there with us, um, which was good. And as we had missed all the experience from the, the previous year, this was sort of very useful. And the amount of AGPs that we had wasn't as much as we were used to. So I was sort of, doing sort of two AGPs max a week. This was tough um, and no one was allowed to sort of enter or leave the room as you say. Mm -hmm. So it, everything you needed sort of had to be in the room, especially in the hospital, um, all the protocols in place. So it was a challenge, but we got there in the end. Was that similar? Yeah, it was, it was kind of similar. We had, you know, the dental hospital at, um, at Bart's is set up. There's a kind of, it's on the ground floor where undergraduates are usually sort of treating patients. It's kind of two sections. There's a sort of smaller section that I think oral surgery used to be in. And then there's a, a sort of larger section when where sort of restorative used to be. And so the smaller section was sort of an AGP area mm -hmm. as such. And it was difficult because we didn't have the kind of one-on-one -on -one scenario because I just don't think there was enough staff to, to make yeah. it work. But what they did do was kind of, you know, they had, obviously the juices would have to change PPE every time they sort of went to a different bay, but... It functioned reasonably sort of similar to, you know, how it did before. I think they got um, the sort of extractor 
technology. Yeah. No, no expert in this, but um, they got sort of they got that in place reasonably quickly, so it was a bit easier. Um, so yeah, but it was you did have to kind of consider it when when like treatment planning. You know how easy it was to get an AGP, how long it would take, yeah. all that kind of stuff um, added to the sort of rigmarole of usual undergraduate kind of treatment planning. Um, yeah, it was it was okay. It was just trying to adapt to it because obviously tutors were also trying to adapt yeah, to it. Yeah. The whole university was, you know, trying to figure out what was going on. But you know, they, I think they did a good job. I think it's the same thing that we did here at the Eastman with our hygiene and therapy students was the one-on-one uh, supervision for AGPs. Um, and as a clinical supervisor, that scared the students a lot to start off with, I think, the idea of us sat there watching them the whole time. But I think it was actually really beneficial. I think they, and I'm sure you you share this with us, Serena, it was really useful for them to have that one-on-one supervision. And also, I think it was just the efficiency. Like you're saying, we're not going in and out of rooms, making sure that you actually know what you're doing. Whereas before, you could just wander in and out. Half your equipment you probably didn't have ready because you didn't know what you needed. Um, so I don't know, did you find that it, you're now more efficient, you're better at planning your appointments? Do you think that's? Yeah, definitely. I think I'd have to agree with that because having to sort of, we had to write out a list of all the instruments and materials and equipment that we'd need in the AGP room for our assistant um, and the nurses to set up beforehand in the room. And if it wasn't there, then, you know, you had to sort of do without it <laughs> before they introduced a runner system, yeah. which was quite a few months later. Um, so I do think I am more prepared, especially in practice now. And it, having the supervision one-on-one also prepared me for the um, work-based assessments that we have in foundation training. Mm-hmm. So we have um, these things called DOPS and ADEPS where our educational supervisors can come into our room um, during an appointment and sort of assess us and how we are carrying out the treatment and um, our com- communication with our patients. Mm-hmm. And this is this can be quite daunting as your educational supervisor is just sort of in the corner with a clipboard watching what you're doing yeah. and how how you're working but the university experience sort of set me up for that with the AGPs I think which was quite beneficial yeah mm-hmm. I think it was quite nice in a way when because even though we didn't have the one-on-one it was you were working kind of more in, intensively with one or two tutors and I think it was quite nice in a way because because they were there more often and they could see your progress you kind of built more of a rapport rather than it just being someone sort of flying in going yeah yeah change this bit here and then flying out again <laughs> yeah. um you kind of actually sort of got to know everyone a bit more as people which i think was quite nice for the sort of morale between staff and students yeah um but i think it it did help with efficiency for this year i think people were more aware of the fact that you know you were taking up time and so being a bit more you know efficient yeah um with your time to to enable like other people to, to obviously go in and, and use that space so i think yeah it's definitely helped a bit i mean there's there's like we saw three patients at dental school um yeah. in a day and so i think going straight into practice is obviously a, a step up anyway yeah, but yeah. it's yeah it, it was good so so did you feel prepared I don't know if anybody feels prepared to a degree, to be honest, even with a normal year, but with your reduced clinical activity, was that something you were worried about going into practice and and doing more complex treatment that maybe you hadn't done a huge amount of undergrad or how, how, how did you feel about that? I mean, I actually felt like we probably did more clinical work in the final year because of COVID, because there was the, 
the limits beforehand. They were really pushing everyone to, to get as much clinical experience as possible, at least at my university. I know that it wasn't the same for everyone, but mm-hmm. um, we were kind of really pushed towards the tail end. We had evening clinics. There were like weekend labs God, to sort of okay. give us enough, wow. enough <laughs> yeah, kind of experience. Really and so, you know, I kind of felt that we were almost kind of more prepared than than we would than have been normal, usually. Yeah. So probably a bit of an outlier in that sense. But yeah, I found it great preparation, to be honest. Yeah, no, that's good. Is um, that the same? Is that yeah. similar? It was slightly different. We didn't have the sort of weekend and late night um, clinical activity, but I did feel towards the end of fifth year where we had more AGPs, that's where I was um, sort of carrying out the more complex restorative treatments. So the labs, the crowns, um, and sort of root canal treatment, which was planned to do earlier on mm. in, in dental school. But so in that sense, having that experience towards the end of fifth year was actually beneficial because I sort of had um, the memory of doing that when coming into the foundation training. But I think in terms of the clinical experience compared to other years, I did feel a little bit at a at a loss and underprepared in that sense. Mm-hmm. But I think with foundation training, it's such a steep learning curve for everyone. Even friends that I've got in previous years have said, you're gonna do more dentistry in the first few months than you did the whole of dental school. And I definitely, yeah, definitely. do feel that. Um, but having my supportive educational supervisors who can sort of guide me if I have any sort of problems or worries, I can just go knock on their door or send them a quick instant message and mm. they can give me advice, which I need in the moment or afterwards um, if it's more appropriate. And I think that has really helped me feel more comfortable when I was feeling anxious um, at the start, I think. And I guess they're aware of that as well. They're gonna be acutely aware that you guys have yes. maybe had a bit, a bit less experience. So if anything, they might be a bit more attentive and a bit more considerate. Um, and I think you're right. A lot of people talk about relating everything to driving where you pass your test, but you can't really drive <laughs> until you actually start driving around that you actually get that experience. So potentially it's the DFs that were affected by COVID maybe more because they lost that initial supported environment where you really start hitting the numbers. So mm-hmm. yeah, so I think it's good that you feel felt prepared and you're at a point now where you can start ramping up your clinical activity and your experience. And I think to a certain extent, it's about your own expectations. Because I think some people, they kind of get into foundation year and they think that straight away they're going to be churning out, you know, 20, 30 patients a day. And then when that doesn't happen or, you know, when a filling goes wrong or they can't finish an extraction, they sort of think that it's some kind of, you know, like a real damning moment for their, <laughs> yeah. their kind of clinical work. But I think expecting for it not to be super easy and super comfortable kind of, helps it helps you to think of it not as kind of a personal affront when it all goes wrong and that you know you're a terrible clinician you just got to kind of roll with it and learn from it and you know try and get through it as best you can yeah you'd probably be more resilient after that whole unknown period i think there's not a huge amount that we can throw at you where you would be uncertain about things so i know you've got nothing to compare to but you probably are more resilient i would imagine Maybe. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes resilience just like, oh yeah, loads of bad stuff happened to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so c- coming out of dental school, obviously have to do dental foundation training. Um, the recruitment process again, talking about COVID was, was, was affected. 
how how did you how did you find recruitment? How did you find find that aspect of things? So for our year, obviously, um, being in the the co- one of the COVID years, we had a situational judgment exam in October time in our final year, um, mm. as usual. And this is sort of nothing can sort of prepare you for the situational judgment exam. There are sort of courses, books, and questions out there, mm. but from my experience, I'd say. Um, you're not sure what you're going to get on the day and it's just sort of you do how how as best as you can do really yeah we um didn't have an interview sort of day as previous years did i think they had a communication station Mm -hmm. and i think a professional management leadership station as well so because of covid we didn't have that so our rank was purely dependent on the sjt which was a worry um for people um in our in our year group as well and me and James both applied for the academic foundation training, mm-hmm. which was um, a separate application process, which also included the SJT, but it had an application form, which we had to fill in and an interview, so an academic interview. Mm-hmm. And I found this really useful, this recruitment process, as I haven't had a dental interview before, obviously, since being in dental school and having an interview, sort of practicing interview skills and trying to talk about Um, my interests, academic interests, I found that to be quite useful. And so once I sort of got the position, I went for it. But the normal sort of the the normal dental foundation recruitment process for us was just was just an SJT. SJT. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that may be changing now, um, but I would recommend just to stay on top of it and look at the Copdan website and, you know, Oriel to see what other vacancies there are, such as the academic posts. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some other posts as well, like the longitudinal scheme, which is over two years, um, split posts. So I've got a friend who's doing um, half her time in a community practice and half in a dental practice. So there are more um, flexible posts and different posts out there, which is quite exciting to offer a bit more variety to to work, which I'm really enjoying at the moment. Yeah, I think because we had the slightly different application process, there were bits of the process that we kind of managed to skip, which I think we got a little bit lucky on. So, I mean, when we applied, we had the interview, which was obviously different to everyone else and obviously had to sort of prepare for that. But then once that had happened, we were then sort of, we ranked a region and then we ranked practices. And I think for us in London, there was three practices that we had to rank and everyone else um, that wasn't on the sort of academic scheme had to rank about 800 practices. Yeah. Um, which was quite a long process. And I think it was something that people stressed about. I mean, with the with the whole year, it was obviously a COVID year and no one really quite knew what was going to happen. You know, there was the announcement that Scotland, all the Scotland Foundation dentists uh, had to repeat the year yeah. and all the final year students had to repeat the year. And so I think a lot of people were, were quite stressed that that was going to happen to them as well. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that I think is probably, probably fair is that you know, throughout the whole process, the universities um, and everyone sort of involved, I think, you know, communication could have been a little bit more upfront. I think that was probably one of the things that that everyone would have would have liked, given all the uncertainty around kind of the rest of life, yeah. let alone the rest of dental school. Um, I think sort of upfront, upfront communication is something that they really could have, that they should really kind of try and improve on for, for next time. Okay. So... Yeah, I guess it would be a disservice not to talk about this academic post. There's a new thing that probably a lot of people aren't aware of. Um, 
So first of all, how, how did you know about those posts? Where are they advertised? If somebody's at dental school now and is thinking that might be something for them, where, where, can they, where do they find those posts? So, um, well, my experience was I was sort of just checking my emails and I saw one from Oriel who, who sort of advertised mm. the normal DFT the normal sort of DFT jobs um, and they they were advertising an academic post but it wasn't really advertised anywhere else no one sort of told me this is a good opportunity this is happening this year I don't think the universities knew about them or my university knew about it as such to sort of advertise it in newsletters or anything like that so when I saw the email it was something that I was interested in especially um, knowing the sort of uncertainty around next year what just having an SJT, where could I end up sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't heavily advertised for me. I'm not sure about you, James. Yeah, I don't think it was very heavily advertised. I think there were a few, you know, a few key people that were sort of quite clued up about it. And so were, were trying to push it a bit. Um, and I think the year before there was maybe one or two posts in, I think it was in Bristol. And, and they were, you know, obviously there were people doing those and so, um, one of my friends was on the Bristol scheme and so he said, oh, you know, knew that I was interested in, in um, kind of academia and said, oh, you know, one of my friends is doing this academic post, you know, you should keep an eye out to see yeah. if they do it this year because I think I think they're going to. Um, but I think it's something that they're pushing this year. I know um, we gave a talk to, to sort of King students a little while ago and I think there's some other talks coming up mm-hmm. um, to sort of promote it. But yeah, it was just, just on Oriel sort of, um, hiding away in a quiet corner. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's just sort of lucky that, you know, I knew someone that had been on the, that had done it before and, you know, knew about it. Yeah. Um, so so what does the ac- academic post look like? How is it split up? How does the academic element work within normal foundation training? So it's, so usually foundation dentists, they have one training day a week and then mm-hmm. they have four days um, in clinics. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas for us, we have a sort of day that's set aside for research. Um, and it's pretty cool because we can kind of choose research projects that we're interested in. Um, so there's no kind of set structure to the project that you go on to. It's, um, you know, you kind of got to figure out what your interests are, go out and find those opportunities, which I guess is quite like academia generally. You know, you've got you <laughs> yeah. to search out the yeah. opportunities that interest you. Um, and so, yeah, we have that one day sort of protected time for, for research, which is great. And it for me, it gives a lot of variety to the week yeah. because... You know, we've got a couple of days in clinic, then we've got a study day, and then we've got another day in clinic, and then there's a, a research day. So you kind of, you never feel like you're getting stagnant, which I think if you're in the same room kind of day after day, sometimes it, it can feel a little bit yeah. like that. Um, so it's kind of one of the big benefits is that, that you've got that time. Is yeah. that how you feel as well, Serena? Yeah, definitely. I agree with um, everything James said. And I think the variety is something that really um, interests me when I was applying for it. And I'm so glad that I have this variety because some some days you're sort of um, in clinic seeing so many patients and it can get tiring, especially at the beginning, beginning um, of, of the training. It's something that we're all getting used to. I know when we go to our study days, we all sort of have the same worries that we're all sort of discussing with each other. And I think the academic day just gives me some dedicated time to do something that interests me other than the clinical side of dentistry. And it's also teaching us skills that are really valuable and we can take forward even with our clinical practice and learning the evidence behind it. Mm -hmm. And so definitely. Sounds good. Uh, Both of you mentioned your study days there. How how is is that being delivered at the moment? Is that 
virtual? Are you getting to see people in real life? How, how is it working? So I think luckily for us, most of our study days this year have been face to face so far. Um, so we're on the central London scheme and we get to sort of travel in into London um, and they take place in Waterloo mostly for us this year. So we get to see the majority um, of our scheme every Wednesday. We have sort of really hands-on sessions, which have been really useful, um, sort of refreshing our skills. And we also get a chance to catch up with each other and sort of meet each other. We sort of have socials afterwards, which are nice sometimes, and also meet our training program director. Um, and it gets it gives us an opportunity to just discuss our worries, cases that we're, we're finding difficult. I know in some other regions, it is more difficult to have them face to face. So they have been more virtual, mm -hmm. um, probably due to sort of transport and also COVID as well. So we are lucky. Um, and I would suggest to sort of talk to people in the year above to see the experiences they've had when you're deciding where you want to go, for example, because a really big sort of selling point for London was to have the face to face study days. And I have enjoyed that, I'd say. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. I would like completely agree with Serena on that. You know, for me, one of the, the best things about the sort of being at dental school during COVID was that it was probably one of the most social places in a way, because while everyone else was, you know, at home most of the time, we were actually able to go into the dental hospital. And, and obviously, although you can't kind of congregate in the same way that you could before, yeah. you, you can actually see people see and, and real talk people, to them. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the novelty of it after after two years um so i think the study days this year like being in central london being able to see everyone that's been like a, a massive plus and obviously you get to meet people from different places different dental schools um yeah it's been really nice and i think yeah it's been it's been good because the speakers that we get are quite different um and i think a lot of the stuff you know like the the sort of composite teaching for example we've had this year it's been like really a sort of step up from what we had at dental school yeah um so it's kind of nice to feel like you're getting new skills rather than just you know sort of rehashing the same thing that you did at <laughs> dental school uh, yeah i think that's really important i think i'm so glad that you're able to get the face-to-face -face, um study days because the support is just really important in foundation training and it's those conversations over coffee where you're somebody's saying about some terrible situation that they got themselves into that makes everyone feel a bit better about themselves and them feel a bit better about themselves. And with virtual study days, I just don't see how that would be possible. So I think it's really lucky that you've, that you've been able to do that. Death by Zoom. Death by Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, what, so what's next for, for, for you guys? Are you thinking about more academic kind of uh, pathways? Are you thinking about dental core training, going into practice? I know it's quite early, but have you had any thoughts about what you want to do next? So it is quite early to decide. I have enjoyed being in practice, but it's only been sort of a few months, but I definitely think I want to continue on the training route and apply for the dental core training, just to sort of learn some new skills, be in a hospital environment. Um, and then that will sort of hopefully give me more of an idea of what I want to go into in the future. Mm -hmm. I do enjoy the academic aspect um, of dentistry and having the variety. So that's sort of what I'm looking for in the future, definitely. Yeah, I think um, I'm planning on sort of slightly different. I probably won't do the conventional training route. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm planning to apply to sort of masters in economics courses for next year. Okay, um, yeah, completely off the bit, conventional bit, route. And, and kind of work like work clinically part-time as well because obviously don't want to lose that but 
the research that I'm doing this year is um, sort of economic evaluations of, of dental interventions. Um, and so kind of learning a bit more about the economics of it, because I, th I think it's something that's not done enough in dentistry. Um, and there's quite a lot of sort of good insights. So that's that's kind of my plan is to do do the masters and then hopefully sort of the academic route um, from there. Interesting, very different. Um, and we're asking all of our guests the, the, the same final two questions. So, so the first one is, uh, what are three things that you enjoy about your job as foundation trainees? So I would say the three things that I love, um, firstly is no day is the same. So every day I turn up to work, it's always different. There's different patients, different treatment plans. Um, no situation really goes 100% as planned, but I actually quite like that. Sort of the adrenaline when you're working is something that I actually love having every day. And secondly, just the environment. So being in practice, I wasn't 100% sure of what it was going to be like, but having the supportive supervisors and my dental nurse, who's amazing. And, you know, the environment that I'm working in is really supportive and that makes me enjoy every day, which I'm really grateful for. Thirdly, I'd say having the ability to sort of just help people after COVID. Hmm. So so many people I see are, are in pain or haven't been able to see their dentist for months and I'm the first one that they see. Um, yeah. And just being able to sort of help them in any small way is actually quite valuable, I'd say. Perfect. And Serena might have stolen some of your points then, but James. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, what do I say? Um, yeah, I think the, the last point that you made about kind of working with the public, I think sometimes it's a bit of a, a double-edged sword yeah, working definitely. with the public. Um, but especially after COVID, people are so grateful to have that kind of human interaction. Because I think because we've been in the dental hospitals, we sort of forget that a lot of people are until very recently or even still are kind of stuck at home, basically. And so when they come in, it's really nice. You know, I had a, a patient the other day and we had a, a real bonding moment over our, our shared IPL cricket team um, <laughs> that we support. So it's kind of that side of it. I love, you know, getting to meet different people, really interesting people. Um, I think for me, the variety in a slightly different way, I think the academic side um, gives us the sort of variety during the week and everything feels fresh because you're not constantly there. Yeah. Um, and that's been really sort of refreshing and nice for me. Um, and I think finally, you're sort of, again, a bit similar to Serena, sort of the challenge of it, like not feeling like you're, you're just settled. Um, and that you're kind of not progressing, like constantly having to work on things, there always being kind of more that you can do. Um, I think for me, that sort of push, and especially, you know, with our, I think both of us have got really supportive ESs, you know, having people that are gonna give you a little push, you know, when you think you're kind of, oh yeah, maybe there's, you know, nothing more I can learn here, you know, going actually, well, have a look at this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's, that sort of challenge, you know, every day is something that I love. It's great. Uh, and then finally, I mean, we have been asking people what advice they'd give their younger selves, but I guess you guys are quite junior in your career. So maybe what advice would you give to somebody who's in dental school that's that's coming up to entering into foundation training? Is there any advice or tips that you'd give them? I think for me to kind of make the most of all opportunities, it's kind of within dentistry, but also outside of it as well. Because I think um, when I was at dental school, I sort of, um, 
at the beginning, I had a bit of a crisis of, of what I was doing and whether I wanted to carry on. And I think it was actually looking for those things that were um, outside of dental school that really made me find my passion for it again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think keeping being open to things outside and sort of, you know, adjacent to dentistry. Um, and I think for people coming into foundation training, you know, just to just to roll with it, like it, it will get better, <laughs> um, even if you feel sort of really stressed and, you know, yeah even if you feel stressed and and like you're not making any progress you know knowing that you will actually get there in the end that's great and serena have you got any advice that you would give yes i i would say that in dentistry there are so many different choices and decisions that you can make because the career pathways is there's so many that you can pick from which is amazing but also can be stressful at the same time because (laughs) there's so many choices to make Um, For example, when I was intercalating, when I had the opportunity to intercalate, there were so many pros and cons that I was weighing up and all the pros outweighed the cons. But the one thing that was sort of holding me back from accepting initially was the thought of leaving behind sort of my year group, the friends that I'd made in my early years, not knowing whether I wanted to go into the year below after intercalating. But after sort of considering this, speaking to sort of my mentors and friends and family, I realized that that shouldn't be holding me back. And I'm really glad that I did decide to integrate in the end. And it's obviously led me to do this academic training post, but I would sort of give a piece of advice to not worry about making a wrong decision because mm. no decision will be wrong. Even if you don't end up sort of liking or enjoying as much the decision that you've made and the path that you're on, you can always um, swap and do something different and it will lead you to where you are now. And that's the same with dental foundation training. When you're ranking your practices and preferences, ultimately, if on the day where you get isn't where you 100% wanted to be, it is only a year. And I think we all just have to remember that it's only a year and you can just find sort of the best and make the best of of the situation. And whatever you put into it, people are gonna be there to support you. So I'd sort of give that piece of advice. I think definitely like I would suggest people intercalate. It's probably something we've both both done. So I think we're probably slightly biased on it, but um, I think it's really cool to be able to take a step back from dentistry and get a bit of perspective on its position in kind of like a wider sense. And I think a lot of, a lot of dental students don't intercalate. And I think it's a real shame because there's so many cool, interesting courses out there that I think will become useful in some way. And yeah, I would say intercalating is probably like probably one of the best things i did at dental school so i agree (laughs) um so yeah i think in summary from from what you've both said there i think it's about taking opportunities both clinically and non-clinically and i think that's probably something that's going to come up a lot throughout this series so i think it's really good that you've both aware of that at this stage and and will really make the most of the options that you've got going forward um, so thank you both so much for, for joining us. It's been really uh, insightful um, to hear about your experiences. And I think for anybody that's maybe worried about the uh, clinical exposure that you guys have had at dental school and going into dental foundation training, I don't think we've got anything to worry about. It seems like you uh, are very resilient and that you're um, going gonna to be fine, basically. So yeah, thank you very much for, for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed listening to this episode. We would love to hear your suggestions for future guests. 
Remember to follow us on social media using hashtag the Eastman Dental Podcast. And if you like what you hear, please rate, share, subscribe and listen out for future episodes.